Get ready, it's time. Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck, is the most powerful voice in women's issues today. As the owner of Motherhood Incorporated, Sandra brings you inspiring, influential, and interesting resources to help you navigate everything from childcare to corporate formation. Each episode of Motherhood Talk Radio features guests who all have a story, experts in their field, and information you won't want to miss. We bring you everything from the latest crafting tips to how to be sexy in your 40s, from great parenting tips to moms facing some tough challenges, and most importantly, how to bounce back with style. Motherhood Talk Radio helps you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Being all you can be starts right here, right now. Let's do it. Here's your host, Sandra Beck. Hi, everybody. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here today with Sharon Silver, and we are talking about parenting ourselves today. This is part of our Fitness After 40 series, and this is emotional fitness, physical fitness, mental fitness, spiritual fitness, you name it. And one of the conditions that's happening now, especially for women like me who had fertility babies, I was an older mom. I didn't have my one son till I was 40. And there's many of us that are in our 40s that are running around chasing toddlers. And Sharon, I brought you on the show today because some of the specific conditions that happen when you're an older mom is there is there's different professional responsibilities that I had than if I had my kids in my 20s. So professionally, I'm at a different point in my career. I'm at a difficult physical point in my body. I'm not 20 years old chasing a toddler. I'm now 45 years old chasing a toddler. And these things can be really difficult. And I'm a huge proponent of fitness, whether it's, like we said, emotional, spiritual, fitness, financial. And staying physically fit is really important for me, but there's only 24 hours in the day and I'm not getting the physical strength and fitness I need chasing a kid around as opposed to going to a spin class. And I did get spin certified this year. So I'm actually teaching spin classes because again, I had to double up a couple things. I had to double up some income. And so my spin classes actually pay for my fitness training and my membership and my vitamin use. (laughs) because again 24 hours in the day given to me and you and I'm not as fast as I used to be I'm slower isn't that the truth and I'm (laughs) older than you are (laughs) yeah you know I had my sister had her uh, child after she was 40 and you know I can resonate with everything that you said I personally had my babies when I was very young I was 20 gave birth when I was 21 Um, so there really is a very big difference as I watched her go through, um, having her baby and what I went through. But the interesting thing is if we reframe where you are in your life, there's a lot of benefits. And one way to reframe that is that it's easy to get so engrossed in working that we don't get up, which is my problem. So I'm writing all day long and I'm on the web and I'm answering questions and I'm doing coaching sessions. And I have to physically remind myself to get up. But if you have a toddler, you're up and you're moving. So if you reframe the fact that you're exhausted, and I get that, um, but you look at it as a, a, an emotion, a physical fitness for where you are in your life, I think that's a great way to reframe it. 
It is. It is. And I think it's, it's so much more important, you know, and it's hard to say because I didn't have a kid in my 20s. I'd like to talk to somebody who had a kid in their 20s, then had a kid in their 40s. You know what I mean? Like the human Petri dish. There are second marriages, yeah. second oh, yeah. families, you know, that happens actually quite a bit. And people will tell me like, oh, you know, I'm a better parent as an older parent, because I have more wisdom, I have more patience, I have more things, but I don't have the energy and the physical fitness that I had in my 20s. And when you're in your 20s, your body recovers faster. Mm-hmm. Like I can tell you, you know, I was, I swam in college and I, I always worked out. I could run a 5k and then get up and go to class the next morning and not blink an eye. Yeah. If I run a 5k now, which I did last year, it was like, eight days. (laughs) I mean, I was still twingy like eight days later. I was still, you know, doing my thing, but you don't recover, especially physically, you don't recover as fast. And I, I do notice that when I had my second child at 40, even the five years between my body didn't recover as quickly, you know, 40 year old body isn't going to recover from birth like a 20 year old body. No, it's not. I mean, I was up and going the next day. You know, my body, I did it all naturally. I did it at home. I was one of those crazy people, but I was far more afraid what would happen if I went to the hospital than I was for having a home birth. So we, you know, we worked on that and, and my body just recovered. Um, You know, but there were other things that ended up happening. I think that when you are after 40, you look at your emotional fitness as you may you may not have the physical strength that you had at 20 but you have far more emotional elasticity let's say you've been through a lot and so you now have an awareness of the bigger picture and you are not so quick to slap a hand to react to say no to everything to start training your children that you know you will do as i say it's more you are who you are let's work together to make this happen So I think that's a real benefit for um, parents who are over 40. And I think the best thing that I can do as a parent educator is really speak to the emotional fitness after 40 because reality tends to descend upon you as you leave your 30s. It is no longer the illusionary, you know, grasp of the more I have, the better my career, the better I'll be. Now you have the career, you have the things that you've accumulated and life either is or isn't better because now it's time to turn the gaze inward. And that's what leaving your thirties and entering your forties, that's the emotional elasticity that you need to work with is it's time to look at reality Mm -hmm. and self-awareness is no longer an option because these things have repeated enough in your life that they're now coming up on your plate. Um, so you end up, you know, doing things where you're taking responsibility, but you're doing it different than you did in your twenties, in your forties, you're taking responsibility. You now see it as a moment for growth, right? You start pulling things apart and you say, okay, I've done this dance before I've walked this path before. I don't want to do it again. So now I need to center myself, be aware and see the bigger picture. Well, and that's, it's funny you say that thing about center yourself, you know, in my twenties and my, I tried to do yoga and I could not get centered. You know, I was going a hundred miles an hour. I still go a hundred miles an hour, but now at least I stop at the rest stops every now and then. (laughs) And only in my forties could I actually sit enough to meditate. 
sit enough to slow down. I could sit and work. I could sit and work for 16 hours straight, but I couldn't sit and be. And that was one of the big things that I found in my 40s that I started to master was the comfort of being in my own skin. And is that typical or is that, you know, is that a natural evolution? Because it makes you a more confident parent when you're okay with who you are. Absolutely. You know, people think that developmental phases really stop at maybe, you know, 10 at the very most when you get out of childhood, but your developmental growth continues until you leave this planet. So there are adult um, developmental phases that we go through. And what you're talking about is absolutely what the 40s is about. It's about being comfortable in your own skin. It's about owning what it is that you perceive as who I am. Can I put myself out there in the most authentic, everybody hates the word authentic these days, but I use mindful in the most mindful way possible. Can I take a moment before I shoot off at the mouth? Yes, you can. You know, Sharon, one of the things that um, has happened to me since I've turned 40 is I started taking better care of myself. And one of those things is having these little rituals. And I have a little ritual every morning with my vitamins. You know, I know it sounds really funny, but I sit down, I pour myself a cup of tea, I get my water bottle, and then I I take my vitamins. And it's it's kind of a little meditative moment for me before I run off in my day. And it's so great that we're talking about this because I want to talk about our sponsor today for a minute. It's called Care Of. And the website, if you want to look at it, is takecareof.com. And you can use the promo code MOTHERHOOD50. One of the things that they're offering right now is this special New Year's offer for 50% off of your first month of personalized Care Of vitamins. But it's really neat when you go to Care Of because Care Of has this fun online quiz and it asks you about your diet and your health goals, you know, lifestyle choices, things like that. It only takes five minutes, you know, actually it took me a lot less to find out this personal scientifically backed vitamin and supplement recommendation. It's really great because, you know, 90% of people fall short of the FDA recommended guidelines for at least one vitamin or nutrient. And it's great to find out where you're lacking with this online quiz provided by Care Of. Um, again, that website is takecareof.com. The hardest thing I had, Sharon, was to know what vitamins or supplements I should be taking. And, you know, Care Of makes it really easy to find out what you need to be your healthiest. And the best part of it is that they deliver these vitamin packs that come in the mail and they're pre-made and they're customized to your recommendations and promote personal health and wellness. They have these little sayings on them. And I know this sounds really funny, but they put my name on it. It's like made for Sandra. And, you know, as a single mom with two kids and an 85-year-old dad to take care of, there's very little for me, just me in the house, you know, there's lots of sharing, lots of things. So to get the vitamin pack with my name on it, that just really helps my kind of meditation tea time, you know, get ready for my day moment. And I really like that a portion of every sale goes to the Good Plus Foundation and they provide expectant mothers in need with valuable prenatal vitamins. Now there are vegan and vegetarian supplements available to match your dietary needs. It's just great. It's easy. I don't have to leave the house. It's one less thing for me to do. It comes in the mail. I put it on my counter. I put it right over where I keep my tea supplies. And it's part of my morning ritual. 
And um, if you want to take advantage of this month's special New Year's offer for 50% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter the promo code MOTHERHOOD50, as in 50% off. So that's MOTHERHOOD50. Go to TakeCareOf.com. And, you know, the meditation part of my little morning ritual is one of the things that I'm really trying to work on this year. You know, one of the things that I've been meditating and doing all that for years and years and years. And recently I found that there was just a lot on my plate. It was really difficult to just sit down and quiet my mind. So um, my mentor basically said to me, why not just work with a mantra? Three words, two words, whatever it is your mantra is. It could be a Sanskrit word that has no meaning, which fools the mind. When you do that, what you see is the amount of time that occurs between having a thought, whether it's helpful or whether it's not, and being able to use your will to control that thought. And when you use that emotional elasticity, you can apply that to parenting as well, but not until you've had the experience of what really fully controlling an, an urge inside of you is. And the best place to start is with the mind chatter. If I can just get a minute of quiet in here, then I've used my will. I've shown myself that I can calm myself. Now, whenever I react to what my children are doing, I have the proof, the experience that I can calm myself before I react. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that that goes to so many different aspects of who you are as you try to be the best person you can be, especially as a parent, because they're good little mirrors. You know, these... There are great little mirrors, you know, like my Diet Coke addiction has handed down to my 12-year-old who's like, I'm going to have a soda every day. And I'm like, no, you're not, mom. You have a soda every day. And I really had to, as silly as it sounds, I really had to think about where did that soda a day habit come from? It came from my four o'clock slump and it used to be a candy bar or a vending machine bar at work. And then that, I didn't want the calories. So then it became the Diet Coke or the Diet Mountain Dew. And you know, I've been doing that for so long and I wasn't even aware of it, what I was teaching my own child, right. but I had to, I had to step back. Like you talk about that, you know, quiet the mind and go, okay, what's really going on here? And I now moved to doing a 4.30 spin class <laughs> in lieu of my Diet Coke, which used to be my chocolate bar, which was my slump. Right. And... Right. You know, that's a very kind of simple, prosaic um, discussion to have with yourself. But I think when you talk about that emotional elasticity, you have to slow down enough and quiet enough yourself so you can actually figure out what's going on in your life. Because I think many of my peers I know go through the same day every day. It's like Groundhog Day. They eat the same foods, they drink the same things, they go to the same places. And I know there's comfort in routine, but when your routine doesn't work for you anymore, like you're training your child to become a Diet Coke addict too, (laughs) you know, these are, these, here's a routine that, that probably wasn't serving me. I wasn't aware of it until my child started doing the same thing. 
Right. I think what you're describing is the perfect description of how I view parenting. Because what you're trying to experience inside yourself is a new pathway for your brain to take, a new pathway for the neurons to wire. So if, I, if my goal is to quiet my mind and I find a mantra or I use breathing or I do whatever I do, I have introduced myself to a new layer inside myself. I have found a new pathway for controlling myself. Your exploration, your experience in that moment is exactly what parents need to provide for their children. So you stand beside them, you stand back, you guide them, you teach them, and you say, all right, sweetie, you are here. We need to get you here. Let's figure out what is it for you? What are your clues? What are your keys? Um, you know, it depends on the child how much you fill in the blank and how much you let them figure out for themselves. But that developmental, developmental emotional elasticity experience, that's a mouthful, um, is what you want to provide for your children. It's the true learning that parents need to give to their children. And that's what proactive parenting is all about. And that's what being mindful is all about. You know, um, it's really, really important for parents to understand that mindfulness is different than you think it is. Thich Nhat Hanh, who we all know, he was a wonderful uh, Buddhist monk and philosopher. I think he's still alive. It was touch and go recently. Anyway, he describes mindfulness. He defines it as the energy of being aware and awake to the present moment. Now, that's really great, but it doesn't teach you how to stop yelling. It doesn't teach you, <laughs> you know, it doesn't say, you know, how do I stop being Attila the mum when I come into the room? So my expanded definition of parental mindfulness is being aware of what a child needs today and tomorrow in order to transform behavior into learning moments. So when you have that broad definition of what mindfulness is and you start learning the techniques that I'm offering, you start seeing that the children are trying to achieve exactly what you're trying to achieve, emotional fitness. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think too, once you get to be 40 or above, it's kind of like the statute of limitations. You know, when I had my second child, I gave myself like two years to get into shape versus, you know, my first one, I gave myself a year to get into shape after having the baby. 10 years later, I'm still not in the shape that I want to be. So where's the statute of limitations of having a baby and getting into shape? But I think it's the it's same acceptance. But it, the statute of limitations is how long you're willing to accept that your bur your body's not perfect as it is right now. Yeah. Yeah. And the, yeah. and it's about blaming the parents too, though. Like when I look at my peer groups in your twenties, it was, Oh, well I do this because my father, because my mother by 40, I think the statute of limitations has run out on blaming the situations in your life on your parents. <laughs> Yeah, I think it has, especially if you're a parent, because if you're a parent, what is it that you want when you reach the stage that your parents are at? Do you want that child that you're gazing across the table to look at you and go, you ruined my life. I'm so angry with you. You could have. And it's like, no, I don't want that. No. Um, so, so I'm going to have to reframe how I'm modeling for my children. My children grew up watching me blame my parents, but they also watched that there was an enormous shift 
when they were about eight, nine years old, where I stopped blaming my parents, where I started taking responsibility, where I was using my emotional fitness. And I was saying, look, let's talk about what the truth is. And there's where, where emotional fitness goes from blame to taking responsibility is at some point you accept from neutral, from a grounded place, this did happen. It did offend me. It is what it is. Right. I am no longer blaming. I can change everything that I learned as a result and go forward. But blame doesn't serve me or my parent. And blame does not serve me as I model for my children. No, and neither does holding on to events of the past. Like there was that, um, I hope I don't butcher it, but there's a story of the two monks that are walking along the river and there's a lady trying to cross and one of the monks picks up the lady, carries her across the river, and then the two monks go on their way. Well, 20 years later, those monks meet up again and the young monk who didn't carry the lady said, you know, I felt guilty for not helping that lady so many years ago. And the other monk who picked her up and carried her across the stream said, well, I only carried her across the screen, stream. You've carried her for 20 years. Oh, wow. And that was something that I heard in a seminar somewhere. And I don't know why they were telling me that, but it stuck with me to go, are you going to carry something across the stream or are you going to carry it for the next 20 years? And we all know people that we meet who have to go back into their divorce from 10 years ago or their childhood problem from whatever, you know, it comes up in the conversation. And I think, do you want to carry that for the next 20 years? And that was a big epiphany that I had when I hit 40 and I attended that seminar with the story about the two monks. What am I going to carry for the next 40 years. Yeah. Because life gets heavier, you know. You it have does. More it does. What are you going to put down? I let's I'm going to be really honest here and say that, you know, I am older than you by quite a bit. But um but <laughs> what I have experienced, you hit the nail on the head when you said life gets heavier. I think that the closer you get toward the end of your life and I'm nowhere close to the end of my life, thank you very much. Um <laughs> is that there is there's a pressure. There's a pressure of, of understanding, am I going to go to my death, basically? I mean, let's tell the truth. Am I going to go to my death holding on to this because it's robbing me? Or am I going to free myself and enjoy my life and go forward with the energy that is mine and the desire that is mine? You know, um, I carried a lot of pain from my childhood for many, many, many years. And I would consistently point out um, situations that would prove it. We look, they did it again. Look, there it is. And yep. so finally somebody said, so, so what? Right. So what? It's, you know, those two words made all the difference in my life because I, uh, you know, what are you going to say? Because I want to blame them. I want to rake them over the coals. I want them to pay. Well, you know what? I believe the universe has an accounting of everything that has happened. So you don't need to worry about the fact that it's been recorded. Yep. You know, well, and there's a biblical, there's a biblical phrase that my uncle Gary always would point out to me in my divorce. Anytime there was, you know, I was married to a really mean, vindictive person and I, I wanted to fire back, but he would always say to me, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Like every, you know, in okay. every, I'm more of a spiritual person than I am of a religious person, but that's my personal choice. But in every single 
religion or spiritual practice, those same things are mm -hmm. said. You do not, what's the point in vengeance? What's the point in blaming? And do you really, at the end of your life, want your adult children to stand there and say, you sucked as a parent? Right. <laughs> Personally, I do not. <laughs> right, no, and I think of Tara Kennedy Klein. She said the greatest line ever. She said, Sam, you know, your kids don't have to love you, but they don't have to hate you either. That's correct. They don't. Like, they might not always like what you do. They might not always love me, but they also aren't going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to design a life so that they hate me. No, I'm not going to design a life that, that they hate me. And I am certainly not going to, um, I'm not going to not do my job. And that's basically, you know, there were two things. And I say this all the time, every time I'm on a show with you is I always told my children, I know you don't like what I'm doing, but I am the adult and I refuse to not do my job. Right. So one of these days we'll have a great conversation about how you hated that I did that but you understood it. And that conversation did end up occurring. What I would say to every single parent who's listening is part of your emotional fitness is that you are at a place in your 40s where it's time to tell the truth. Yeah. The truth is not tainted by vengeance. It's not tainted by anger. It's not tainted by revenge. Telling the truth is simply a narrative. This happened, then that happened, then this happened, then that happened. Somebody said that, I was offended. I didn't like it. I shot back. Mm -hmm. It didn't go well. That's the truth. Right. Now what? Yeah. You know? And that does a tremendous amount of modeling for your children because you have to go with what your heart says. And that's what we're all trying to come back to. I think that a lot of parents believe that if you're mindful, that what you're having to do is push aside no. your normal emotions and embrace a false positivity so that there's never anything wrong with your life. That's a lie. We're all struggling. Okay. So, so being mindful means telling the truth. I'm having a bad day. My ears can't handle this screaming right now. You have a choice. Quiet down and be beside me. Be loud outside. You choose. Do it now. Right. <laughs> well, and it's interesting, you know, you say that because last night, um, my older son came in, he's got his volleyball or his basketball banquet on Friday night. And um, he said to me, Mom, he goes, I think dad's going to bring his wife to the um, basketball um, banquet. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, it, it didn't, um, it wasn't worrisome to me. And he said, I have to RSVP. And I said, well, RSVP for me, your brother, your grandpa who lives with us, and then dad and his wife. And it was just nothing to me. And I went back to reading. He was just standing there. And then he said, oh, well, you know, I said the same thing to dad. And, you know, dad got, got all upset about, you know, well, if your mother's going to be there, then my wife and blah, 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 blah. And I said to him, you know, Max, I know it's really hard because you have two different realities and the reality is you have to form your own because mom's not at all worried about it. Dad and the wife are all worried about it, but that's their problem. And I said, you just need to go and get your award and have a good time and hang out with your friends and, you know, don't worry about me. I'm fine and they'll be fine. You know, when a kid, especially in divorce situations, there can be two vastly different truths. Oh, yeah. 
And that's really confusing for a kid, you know, and he sat down in the chair in my, I have two chairs by the fireplace in my bedroom. That's like our fireside chats. (laughs) I flip the fake fireplace on and we sit there and we talk and, you know, we talked a lot about there's different realities for everybody and your, your thoughts and your beliefs create your experience and how I don't hold anyone harm or foul or anything. I'm, I've moved on and I'm happy to just go see him get his awards. Right. And I said, you know, on the flip side, they're still living in this whole, um, they make these experiences because of their beliefs, their beliefs that there's still something going on. There's still hard feelings. There's still all those beliefs will create a very different experience for them then I will create for me. And Max, you've got to create the experience for you. What do you want to experience? There you go. I mean, what you just, the, the, I was waiting for you to go where I knew you would go, which is, <laughs> what's your experience? Apparently, this made you nervous. Therefore, you have some beliefs inside your head. And, you know, I would like you to talk to me and pretend that I'm not your mom. And if you're comfortable with that, just tell me. You know, what's going on with you? Why are you so uncomfortable? Why does it matter if dad is comfortable? He made his choices. Why does it matter if I'm comfortable? I made my choices. How does this impact you? That emotional maturity and fitness um, helps a child understand, I have a parent who will always be grounded and safe and provide boundaries and wisdom for me, even when I can't provide it for myself. Mm -hmm. That is the true essence of being mindful. It's also the true essence of boundaries and health as a parent-child relationship. Um, Kids have to know, I've got this, babe. I've got this. And how I've got this is I'm going to guide you. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to ask you some specific questions so that you can find that, like we talked about earlier, that experience that drives you down and says, oh, when I have a problem, when I can't figure out how, why people were behaving that way, I know what to do. I ask myself some questions. What are my investments in this? What is my belief structure? And then maybe I can be of service and help the people who seem to be very affected by this. Or maybe it's none of my business and I need to just like walk out the door. Right. Or maybe I just need to go and get my award and hang out yeah. with my friends. Yeah. And, you know, because whether dad and the wife are comfortable or mom is comfortable or any of that stuff really is not the kid's responsibility. No. It's not. He is not the parent, you know, like I, that's the thing that I was like, I was felt like the banquet was very much like a precursor towards his wedding someday. You know, I could just see that going like whoever the dad is married to at the time and wore the girl. I mean, there's, cause there's always a big drama. There's always a drama. My son was married two years ago and you know, we thought drama free. No, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we're a pretty drama free family and Marriage just seemed to ignite that sucker. Um, So yeah, you know, I think that what we're trying to do is give our kids the steps, the experiences, um, the pathway that the brain can use, that their experience can show them, this is how you do it. Now, you don't have to do it exactly like I would do it. That personally was always my button with my kids was I always had to add, don't do what I did. Please, (laughs) please, please don't do what I did. But I also have the wisdom on the other side to help you navigate a better way. Yeah, because it is hard. You know, these are, and this is where like me being a parent at 
over 40 versus if I was dealing with this type of stuff in my 20s or early 30s, I would have never had the patience to say, let's talk about this or why I wouldn't have had the understanding to go, well, this doesn't have anything to do with you. You're not responsible for dad's happiness. You're not responsible for my happiness. And I know it, it's a pain when, you know, one of the parents isn't happy at one of your events, but that's life. Yeah, it is part of life. And so what happens is you get older, you start saying, well, I'm sorry. I mean, I said something to a friend's daughter the other day and after I said it, I went, oh my God, that was like really, I mean, but she was calling me as a coach and she was a personal friend. I'd known her since she was a tiny girl. So I had that carte blanche with her and I looked at her and I said, sweetheart, at what point did you believe that life doesn't hand everyone a sledgehammer? Right. You're not the only human being who's been hurt here. It happens. The question is, what do we do about it? Do we strap it to ourselves like a ball and chain and start dragging it through our life? Or do we stand there for a moment, take a breath, look at it and decide, first of all, does this belong to me? Is this anger mine or is this anger roaming around the room because somebody is unhappy they're going to the banquet? Mm -hmm. You know? So that's about owning. It's about, like I said in the very beginning, it's like taking responsibility, being self-aware, looking at reality, taking responsibility, and recognizing that your choices truly emerge because you have a view of the bigger picture. Right. Well, and I'm going to say something that I've noticed with this next generation and the, the generation of young people behind me that work for my company and this is a little different than, and I think, you know, you and I are, are in the same category, I'll just say, in the same time frame. <laughs> we weren't raised with thousands of messages that there's a solution for every problem, and it's usually pharmaceutical. Well, there is a solution for every problem, but it isn't pharmaceutical. Right. But what I'm saying is like your friend who, your, you know, the girl who called you, that's very symptomatic of the people that I coach in my, my real estate business and at Keller Williams, but also that I see with my kids that when we were growing up, Sharon, we could have a bump and a bruise without a Band-Aid. Yes. You know, we could have a headache and my mom would say, have some water and go lie down. We didn't immediately rush to a pill. Right. And we didn't have thousands of messages every week from the internet, from the TV, from whatever, telling us that we must remedy every discomfort. Because right. discomfort is part of life. Unhappiness is part of life. Trauma, strife, all these things, no one gets out of life alive. That was the joke when I was little growing up. Yeah. You don't get out of this life alive. But the pervasive culture today is that every discomfort must be handled immediately. Like if you're bored, play a video game. If you're bored, get on your phone. Like it's not, I don't think it's unreasonable for young people to think that something negative is a full-blown crisis. Yeah. Because every message they're given is it must be solved like the Brady Bunch effect. Every problem must be solved within a 30-minute episode. You know, all the... Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I just wrote this in a seminar that I'm giving where we were talking about just that. It's like uh, the idea is that not every situation is going to have an answer and you're not supposed to go out and solve everything in the way that you think you are. 
the way you solve problems is you first understand it's a moment for growth. Obviously, I'm in this situation because I do not have a big enough picture to understand where I went wrong. So this is a moment for growth. Um, when it comes to parents, I think one of the best things you can do is say, I'm sorry, you're bored. There are clouds outside if you'd like to count them. There's blades of grass in the, in the <laughs> lawn if you'd like to count them, which is what I said to my kids. I said, video games? No. But there's the grass. There's the clouds. I gave you two choices. What two choices do you have? And they would just look at me go, uh, and run outside <laughs> and play, you know, um, so there is a solution, but back to the very beginning of our, uh, of our talk here, we're old enough to understand that the solution comes from quieting the mind and waiting a moment. Mm -hmm. A 20-year-old is running headlong into it and assumes, because they're trying to differentiate themselves from being a teenager, that the 20-year-old assumes, I've got it. I know it. Based on everything I've learned, I've got it. And so then they go off half cocked and they do what they do. And then they have to unravel that for quite a bit of time. But right. at 40, you're basically looking and going, wait, I think I need to take a moment and think. And that's acceptable. And we need, we're at the beginning of this technological age where we have hit the scene with all this technology without knowing at all what it's going to do to our relationships, our communication. Um, our children's brains, all of these things. So we need to take it a little easier and slow down here and kind of work with it and stop blaming the kids because they're involved in technology. They're wired differently. I believe that their brains are wired to accept this technology because they take to it at age two. Right. You know, well, it's like I was on my first computer at five years old. I can't imagine a, I can't imagine a, doing anything without digital. Like really, you know, like one of the things that I love to do is grow my tomato plants because I don't have to plug them in. You know, <laughs> like I don't have to boot them up. I don't I have to do it. When the first computer came out and I have to say I had children. And I remember that when my husband had to change the hard drive, he invited all his male friends over and they stared, they stood there, they wrung their hands and they stared over the computer. And I walked in with all my girlfriends and relatives and I said, Look at the men. They're more upset that the computer has a problem than when I gave birth. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> true. I know. So. Well, and I think there's a shift, like what I see, um, you know, in this shift of, of technology acquisition, um, you know, and I, I kind of rode that first wave of, of technology. And I realized early on that, that technology had the ability to master data, you know, master facts and figures, take, take random, seemingly inconsequential things and make them into something. And I knew even back then that it was the person who could think that would make the money, not the person who could acquire the most. And when I look now, like to me, the internet is a glut of, abundance of information of everything yeah. and you don't have to you don't have to know things anymore I know so where is the next big money where is the next big challenge where is the next big thing it's the next, big, the next big thing is to stop thinking that money is the next fix 
Fix. Well, I use that money as the. Yeah, as a, no, I'm not saying you, but I'm saying everybody on the net. I mean, I actually see websites where they're encouraging you to choose a business, any business. It doesn't have to be your passion, but if it has these details to it, it'll make you a lot of money. But right. when you skip over reality, self-awareness, responsibility, your business isn't going to go very far. Right. Because life has changed. We are now very concerned about being authentic, being mindful, healing our wounds, being able to take care of the planet, going forward. These are all very serious issues and they're showing up every day and they're putting pressure on us to expand as human beings. And one of the places that we traditionally have not expanded is when in the parent-child relationship. We're still hitting children. We're still screaming at children. We're still thinking that punishment is the way to change how children learn. And it's time at, if you're talking about emotional fitness at 40, it's time to look, use that bigger picture and look broader and see that this is a human being. They're shorter than you are. They don't have complete brain development, but they are still a human being and they deserve the respect and understanding that you would want for yourself. And sure. that's the beginning of mindfulness. That mindfulness too, like in my, in my, my, my own parenting experience, if you slow down enough and think about what is it you didn't like, I didn't like being hit right. and hitting me didn't change anything. No, like it actually was, ignites rebellion. For me, it just, well, I was a withdraw kid. I would go in and take a book and go withdraw from everything. That was my way of dealing with being hit. But when I really think about who I was at five and who I am today, mm -hmm. I'm essentially the same personality. I'm essentially, I'm, I'm wiser and different, but my tendencies are still the same and I still have to manage certain tendencies that aren't good for me. But hitting didn't make a difference. No, hitting doesn't make a difference. And the other thing that we make a mistake about is we start trying to control the aspects of a human being that that person may actually need for their future. And I'm a perfect example of that. I was told all my life that I had a big mouth. Who did I think I was? Where did I get off speaking to others, even if I made sense? Who knew I would grow up to be a teacher and a public speaker? So trying to take that out of me by hitting me, slapping me, putting my soap in my mouth, it was counterintuitive. It did nothing. It didn't stop me from becoming who I was. It just slowed me down a little bit. But it also surrounded this, the information that my parents were trying to send me with resentment and anger that had to be healed before I could learn the lesson. So for parents, if you want your children to listen to you, you don't come at them with screaming and yelling because that only proves to them that they have a right to feel unsafe. And then they shut down. They stop listening. They stop learning. If you want your kids to learn, you become mindful and you guide them. Well, and I think that comes along with shaming. You know, I got a lot of shaming, not from my parents. My parents are actually pretty good about this part of it. But the school districts, you know, they would call me scatterbrained and unfocused and, you know, all these really negative, the, the actual characteristics that allow me to run my multimedia company and do it really well. The scatterbrain means that I'm working four monitors at once very comfortably and I'm four times as effective as the average person. My daydreaming 
created amazing creative shows for people. So the scatterbrained daydreamer that wasn't going to go anywhere actually used those. And I know that people were probably with the best of intentions thinking they're going to make me into the same mold as every other kid in Buffalo, you know, in the 70s. But when you look at your kid, try to look at their unique gifts as talents and not something to be squashed. And teachers and educators, I had actually a a, a really well-known educator in my office recently. And it was really funny because he's a very old school teacher and he's won all these awards. Great, great man. My kids love him and everything. But he came in and he looked at my office with four computer screens running and another computer over here. And he's like, what is this book over here? I go, oh, this is the date book for this project. This is the date book for this. And it was all going on at once. And he's like, he got so confused and overwhelmed. And I said, Larry, this is the same thing as you telling me to sit down and focus on one thing and complete it from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. It's as opposite to the way my brain works. And you know what? If I want to have one, two, three, four computer screens going and four date books at the same time, and it works for me, that's who it needs to work for. So when you look at your kids, you can give them the behaviors that people accept as those becoming successful. But I think you also have to step back and go, you know what? Maybe this kid is going to hit a home run with one arm despite all the pressure I'm putting on him to grow a second arm. Oh, absolutely. What a great way to put that. I mean, that's really, really true. Um, My kids are really different in the way that they learn and in the way that they express themselves. And it was really important to me to honor um, how they learn. And my older son had a sixth grade teacher who basically said to him, you know, I don't know why you're trying to do that. You're never going to go to college anyway. So I, of course, in my former days when reacting was something <clears throat> that I did, um, and helicopter parenting was <clears throat> something that I wore as a badge, um, I went right into her office and I said, don't you ever tell a child that they're not going to go to college. Who do you think you are? Right. And, you know, what happened was the child grew up and he had very similar experiences that you did. He needed to work at night because that's how his brain works. And so he went to school to become a sound engineer and he's a brilliant sound engineer, but he did all of that in a free thinking, free form way. He went to a new age at college. Um, You can't get near the college now because people started to find out that there was a college that was going to teach kids this way. It was brilliant. So, you know, I think that your idea of looking at it as a talent and trying to guide and refine that talent instead of trying to, as you say, have them grow a second arm. I really love that. Mm -hmm. um, Really is, you know, it's the way to go. All of this is something that happens when you start flexing your emotional fitness around 40. Mm -hmm. All of it. Well, I think it's been, for me, it's been really fun as my kids get older because I do have an office in my home and the kids do see me up all night. And I'm like, well, you know, for some reason during the day, sunlight bothers me when I'm trying to code, the truck's going down the street bother me. I don't know, whatever it is. I can't focus like I can. If I sit down at 930 at night and I work till 330 in the morning, I can produce more than most people could produce in a work week. 
I did it last night. So yes, I agree with you. It's just a very quiet time and I get a tremendous amount done. Um, but I fall into, I know myself well enough to know that doesn't happen all the time. And right. so, you know, the world works in the daytime, so I have to too. But you have a night like you do and you end up working. And I learned that from my son. So I would honor and say, okay, go ahead and do that. Um, you know, but you still have these responsibilities. This is the bigger picture that I'm talking about is knowing that when you have a young child, you're looking at um, what are the skills, what are the life skills I need to teach you so that not only does it work in this moment, but it will also help you make decisions in your future. Can I tie the two together? And that's really, in my opinion, the way you frame being mindful. I'm mindful of the fact that you're a human being. I'm mindful of the fact that you're going to grow and leave me. I'm mindful of the fact that I need to provide you with the skills you need. And that includes rules and boundaries and consequences so you learn you can live through them. People think that consequences are only to benefit a fa uh, the, the child and the parent to stop the behavior. No, they're also to show a child you can live through it. Yes. Oh, and that's don't know that. That's a huge one, especially if you have really high-functioning kids like I do. My Mrs. Woolman, uh, Max's third grade teacher, called me and she's like, I'm going to do something that's going to help Max. And I said, what is, and she goes, I need your support on this. She goes, I'm going to give him homework. That's too hard for him. This is in third grade and he's going to fail it because this is a kid who breezes through everything. He's four or five years ahead in reading. He's, you know, and he is, he's very, both my kids are very, very bright, but they are not accustomed to failing. And she's right. like, we're going to fail him in a controlled environment so he can learn that failing isn't the end of the world, that he'll survive. He can get an F you know, and he was, it was the biggest trauma. I love it. Little third grader. And the other thing I had to do with my other kid who was very much, everything must be on the dot, on the line, on the thing. He had an irrational fear of being late to school. And some, thankfully the principal at the time, wonderful lady said, she goes, tomorrow, I need you to bring him late. Yes. And we went and we sat in the parking lot and we didn't go in and the bell rang and this poor kid, he's crying and oh, yeah. crying. I mean, but you know, he had to learn at some point you can be late. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you know, whether he got it from, you know, a, a TV show or a parent or whatever, the fact is he had this crazy thing about being late. You know, the world won't fall apart because you're late. Not that I want to teach him to be late. But, but the same with the consequences. You yeah. have to recognize that you can recover. This is about resiliency. You can recover you after a mistake. You can recover after a failure. You can recover after being late. Yes, and there are wonderful things that happen once you realize that you did recover. And um, by the way, send a note to that teacher. Tell her I love her and I would love it if she would <laughs> work with me. And because you can work four computers at once, will you come up and teach me how? Anyway, um, <laughs> um, I, I think that that's really brilliant. And, and I'm not asking parents to go out there and produce a situation that will cause your child to fail. But I'm asking you to have awareness, look at reality, take responsibility, which is your job as a parent, and see the bigger picture. Would it serve your child who has gotten straight A's to get an F? Would it serve your child who's gotten all F's to be applauded for just their mere existence? Well, okay. That's going to be a whole nother show because 
I have to tell you, I'm thankful for my school district. I'm thankful for the teachers, but my kids get an award at every ceremony. They become meaningless pieces of paper. And my yeah. biggest complaint for the, for the elementary school was you are record, you are rewarding my child for working for 15 minutes a night on his homework. And you're not rewarding the kid down the street who is a good friend of ours who works two and a half hours. Right. And there's there's no reality in those, in those awards. There is none. And so you end up with what we have in corporate America. When I do my speaking in corporate America, because I do come in and talk to employee parents, they tell me all the time that the millennials and the kids that are, you know, somewhere in that age group, they honestly believe that something good will come out of doing what they're required to do. So I always tell people, you know, are you raising a child that will stand there and go, here's my report. What's my reward? Like that's real in corporate America. Like that's real in any job. I finished what you asked me to do. What do I get? You get to live another day, you know? Right, right. You get your paycheck. There's a reward. You get your paycheck. So, So we're not really doing... Uh, children a service by any stretch. If you want to give them awards, give them an award for being, being the wonderful version of themselves. I saw you were kind to your friend. You get an award because that's human kindness. I saw you step in the way of a bully who was attacking another child. You get an award for being courageous enough Let's give them awards for their value system instead of things. Well, and instead of just getting a grade point, because if you're like my kids, you can get an over-perfect grade point with zero effort. Yeah, I have two of those too, yeah. Yeah, it's reverse. Yeah. You're actually rewarding my kid for watching TV, for being lazy, for, you know, he does, his, he does the homework to the 100% capability of the test, but he didn't study. And he gets an award. Yes. And then the other thing is that you're basically rewarding him. He's figured out how to beat the system. And if you're, if you're that bright that you figured out how to beat the system, I have a few things I need to say to you because now I need to use my, my wisdom and, you know, bring in the team like your teacher did and say, we're going to do this in a controlled environment because it will serve and help the child. Yeah. You know, and that's really being mindful. That's looking at who do I, when I sit down at Thanksgiving, 15 years from now, and you are gone from my house, what, who are you going to be and what's our relationship going to be like? What do I want? Do I want us to be connected or do I want us to resent each other? Do I want to insist that you do life the way I do it? And that means that you don't get to do life the way you want to do it. That's going to work really well for our connected family. No, it's not. So you have to look at the outcome. Go ahead and look at the outcome and say, what do I wish for you? A lot of children, I mean, a lot of parents say, I only want my kids to be happy. And I understand that. But let's explore the big definition of what happiness is. Exactly. Exactly. Because it's like, you know, with my son in the, the forced failing episode, he learned compassion. He learned compassion for a kid that sits next to him and get an F. You know, he, he couldn't know what he couldn't know. He couldn't know what it's like to struggle. He couldn't know what it's like to fail. Right. And not that we have to, to manufacture everything, but when we teach our children the values, compassion, understanding, respect, none of those have anything to do with getting an A. a. And those things are what 
when you have respect, when you have compassion, when you have grace, when you have understanding, those get you so much further in corporate America oh, yeah. than you know, any skill I could give you. The ability yeah. to get along, the ability to network, all these things are what you're talking about in creating a human that can create their own success as they define it. Because my definition of success may not be the same definition my kids have. Right. We're right. all made differently. So Sharon, thank you today for this emotional fitness over 40. Your website is proactiveparenting.net. Sharon Silver was our guest today. Thank you so much. As always, the hour flew by. <laughs> thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for being with us today on Motherhood Talk Radio starring Sandra Beck.